session meeting of its members Tuesday, June 30th at 7 p.m. to discuss personnel issues. The whole of the meeting will be closed executive session so the public will not be attending and there will not be a portion of the meeting devoted to public comment. Once again, WBAI's local station board is scheduled to hold a remote access executive session meeting for its members on Tuesday, June 30th at 7 p.m. to discuss personnel issues. The whole of the meeting will be in closed executive session so the public will not be attending and there will not be a portion of the meeting devoted to public comment. And this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Advocating for Justice with Arthur Schwartz, which is heard Mondays at 5 p.m. It is now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI evening news coming up. Good evening. In the news tonight, support is growing to make Juneteenth a national holiday. A police shooting in Los Angeles of an 18-year-old man has left family and friends demanding answers. New York's Democratic primary will be held tomorrow with a number of longtime incumbents fighting to save their careers. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, June 22, 2020. New Yorkers celebrated Juneteenth on Friday with scores of events across the five boroughs, including a march across Brooklyn Bridge Friday evening that drew many thousands of participants. Juneteenth honors a day on June 19, 1865, when enslaved persons in Texas learned two months after the end of the Civil War that they were free, ending 246 years of legal slavery in the United States. A bill to make Juneteenth a national holiday has been introduced in the Senate with bipartisan support. Among the bill's backers is John Cornyn, the senior Republican senator from Texas who is up for re-election this year. President Donald Trump returned to the campaign trail Saturday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the much-ballyhooed rally was a flop. After boasting earlier in the week that one million people had registered to attend the event, Trump was greeted by a crowd of fewer than 7,000 supporters in a 19,000-seat arena. An overflow site set up outside the arena to accommodate another 40,000 attendees was empty. Afterwards, teenage fans of K-pop music took credit for fooling Trump, saying they had signed up in mass for tickets they never intended to use. Here's how they did it. If you guys haven't heard, um, Trump is planning a rally um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth, which is a slap in the face to black people. This man, I mean, he's not too smart um, because tickets are available by two for free on his website if you just put in your phone number saying BTS stands should do this, but what I'm absolutely saying is that they should absolutely go and stand that website and take up all the tickets so that you don't have any people at the rally. It was also reported on Saturday that six campaign Trump aides who had traveled to Tulsa to do advance work on the rally had tested positive for COVID-19. 
According to CNN, the aides were left behind in their Tulsa hotel rooms to self-quarantine and, with any luck, reflect on their role in orchestrating a mask-free event at the height of a pandemic that could spread the coronavirus to thousands of other people. Almost a month after the police murder in Minneapolis of George Floyd sparked weeks of protests across the country, police killings continue. In Gardena, California, the family and friends of Andres Guardado are demanding answers after he was shot in the back and killed Thursday in a hail of seven police bullets. Guardado, 18, had initially fled from the police and then tried to surrender, according to witnesses. Nearby surveillance cameras were removed after the shooting by members of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Alex Villanueva lamented his officers not having body cams. He told journalists his department was seeking video of the incident for their investigation. The manager of the auto body shop, where Guardado worked, says the cameras were removed to cover up what happened. Well, this is the first camera that they end up the wall. And actually, they, they, broke, they, they broke it off and took it right off the wall. And they also got, there was a camera of the wires. They left that one because it wasn't that they needed the camera. They were just being malicious and covering themselves. You know, and then you see the one over there, so it's just, and they took the DVR, so. They took it? Yeah, they took it. And they got a warrant after they got it, but they took the DVR. They got the warrant after? Yeah, after. Yeah, yeah. after. They, they, they illegally got into everything, then then they, they, they had the place locked down, and then they got the warrant, you know, yeah. to cover themselves. Here in New York, the mayor and city council face a June 30th deadline to complete the city's annual budget. The city is facing a $7 billion deficit due to a plunge in tax revenues caused by the pandemic, as well as calls from activists to slash the NYPD's $6 billion annual budget by $1 billion. While steering resources away from police departments is a hard slog, monuments to a racist past continue to fall with rapid speed. Here in New York, the American Museum of Natural History has announced it will be taking down a controversial statue of former President Theodore Roosevelt, which stands outside the museum. In the statue, Roosevelt sits astride his horse while a Native American and an African American trudge along beneath him. As president, Roosevelt was an architect of the U.S. colonization of Puerto Rico and the Philippines. And finally, New Yorkers head to the polls tomorrow to vote in the Democratic primaries. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders will both be on the ballot in the presidential primary. There will also be a number of hotly contested primaries for congressional and state legislative seats. Many of these primaries feature members of the party's insurgent left wing going up against entrenched incumbents. We'll talk more about tomorrow's primaries after the break. DNA official MV by BTS, a K-pop hit with more than 1 billion views on YouTube. 
You're listening to the WBAI Progressive newspaper and website now in its 20th year of publishing. You can find us online at independent.org. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. And just as we noted in the headlines uh, earlier, it was teenage fans of K-pop music's uh, political comeback into disarray on Saturday night in Tulsa when they registered for close to a million tickets and then stayed home, leaving the president, to his surprise, facing a mostly empty arena. So the kids this evening, we look at a political battle raging closer to home. New York's Democratic primary will be held tomorrow. Of course, many people have already voted uh, by mail or early voting, but many more will head to the polls tomorrow. And nine others will be on the on the ballot in the presidential primary. But the real battles will take place further down the ballot where the left wing centrists in a number of hotly contested races for Congress and state legislature. Incumbents are often at an advantage uh, due to their ability to raise funds, in a recent article on independent.org, M described how the Speaker of the New York State Assembly wields a fully legal $4 million slush fund stuffed with special interest money that he then distributes to his allies facing tough re-election campaigns. Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Great. Uh, so first of all, with the, with the Democratic Assembly Campaign Committee uh, and that $4 million fund, uh, can you uh, describe how that that much money is amassed? Sure. Well, uh, it had about two, a little over two million at uh, this time last year, and then they probably raised at least, I'd say, four million since then, and then spent about two million, I guess, We're just ballpark numbers. But right now, there's about four million in the account. Um, and they take the money from anyone who wants to give it. Um, so there are a lot of unions. Um, there's also a lot of law enforcement unions, the Police Benevolent Association, New York State Troopers, um, and so on, corrections officers. Um, so you got some of the right-wing unions. you got some of the more progressive unions. Um, but then uh, you also see money from the financial industry, the insurance industry, healthcare. Uh, anesthesiologists are a big uh, contributor, big big fan of this co- campaign committee. Uh, thoroughbred racing interests, horse racing interests, um, all kinds of. There appears there's, there's to be no, there's appears to be from no interest group they won't take money. Um, so whoever wants to give it, uh, it's it's fair game. They're going to take it and dole, and then Hasty doles it out. Speak the speaker of the assembly um, right. to the candidates who who play ball with him. Yeah, right. So can you elaborate on, on how this money is dispersed uh, to uh, often to embattled incumbents and uh, who some of the well, major recipients in, recipients sure, are right now and in the in the in the scale of the money they're getting? Well, they, so they um, this started early in 2019. So they 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 foresaw which candidates may get challenges from progressive insurgents in the wake of the um, 2018 successes. Uh, so they looked at some of the candidates um, like Michael Dundecker in Jackson Heights, um, Kathy Nolan in Sunnyside, um, and uh, Felix Ortiz uh, here where I live in Sunset Park, um, and then um, Walter Mosley and so they, and, in Clinton Hill. So they've basically um, – Ira Velasimotis and Astoria as well. They've been doing fundraising um, 
they host, hosted fundraising events for the various candidates early in 2019, and then since then they've been giving uh, significant sums to all these candidates. So uh, Nolan in Sunnyside has gotten 40 grand. Um, Felix Ortiz, um, a little bit more than that, um, and on down the line. So there's basically there's a, um, over 10 candidates that have gotten between 20 and $60,000 from this um, campaign committee fund that's, that Hasty controls. And they're able to – what do they use that for? I mean, roughly, how does well, it help it for all campaigns? The campaigning, you know, mailer, campaign mailers, um, staffers, uh, the usual stuff, consultants, and, and on down the line. There's no, once it goes into their accounts, then it's up to them how they they will spend it. So there's other spending that goes on too, um, that can be, polling and so forth that can benefit cer- certain candidates. Um, and so it's hard to it's hard to always track exact exact dollar amounts um, and how it's spent, but. Uh, you can sort of see the patterns um, of where that Hasty is supporting most of the incumbents. Now he's not supporting uh, Yulin New in um, Chinatown, Manhattan, um, and you know she's got plenty of um, supporters, donors uh, from uh, her ties to AOC now, and endorsed her with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and so on. So she's it's, she's not hurting for money necessarily, um, but you know you have to attain that stature if you don't get the if not if you don't have the support of the party then you have to uh, go to the grassroots and really tap the the donor base and that's something not always it's not always no guarantee that you can you'll be able to pull that off so it makes it more difficult for incumbents and so she spoke forcefully against the um austerity budget that was passed in early april uh that hasty supported the three people in the room hasty is the assembly speaker uh stuart cousins the majority leader of the state senate and then cuomo um, I'll push that through, not raising taxes on the rich, um, not including marijuana legalization and other things that revenue raisers. Um, and instead, um, we're going to f- be facing a, a, a severe cut starting uh, July 1st. Um, but that's what Hasty and company wanted. And uh, she certainly spoke out uh, strongly against it. And so and now she's um, facing a challenge in Grace Lee, a uh, businesswoman who's pumped 250 grand of her own money into her campaign. Uh, it kind of shows you where her, where she comes from uh, in terms of the uh, economics. <laughs> She's a one percenter for sure. Um, right. So anyway, so this, yeah, this is a way to ensure that, you know, the, the, the insurgent left is not um, going to keep making inroads. At least they haven't uh, captured any, um, made much headway in the assembly yet. Um, and so, that Hasty's trying to shut that down. Um, that they have the, the block in the state senate, but now that you know, other than New and Ron Kim, who's not getting money, although he says that's a, um, a choice that yes. he made, but um, that's a, a long story. Right now, uh, just before we go, I mean, one thing I just I, I guess want to want to underscore for people is when they get uh, you know all these mailers, uh, the glossy mailers that come in their mailbox or. You know the online Facebook ads or, or whatever they might see from candidates. That you know, this is a, you know financed in part by all these you know these various special interests. Uh, and then if if they are reelected, they go back to the assembly, and you know they have a, a, a built-in reason to be loyal to the to the same leadership that passed this year's austerity budget. So and. This is really the, yeah. sort of, if I understand correctly, this is really like kind of the mechanics of how 
the machine and status quo politics uh, works in this state. Yes, and, and we shouldn't underestimate the fact that uh, the large amount of union contributions going into this um, maintaining the status quo as well, that they, they're, they're contributing to this, um, the, the, the com- campaign committee we're talking about. So the well, I, I certainly hope the progressive forceful. unions get I certainly hope the more progressive unions get their money's worth out of this, because there certainly seem to be a lot of uh, corporate and, and right wing, uh, you know, police unions that are playing ball <laughs> yeah, here. Right. Sure. Um so yeah, I just, I just wanted to um, add uh, just a, if I have a minute here about yeah, we're, yeah, we're almost in, out of time. In, Sun, in Sunset Park, so you have the three candidates, um, three main candidates are Felix Ortiz, the long-term incumbent, and then you have the two. Um, we have the DSA's candidate Marcella Martinez, Martinez, and um, Catherine Walsh, who's running as a progressive, and now she's been backed by uh, Carlos Menchaca, the city councilman. So uh, there's a possibility of splitting the vote. It here, um, that, but also uh, this makes the case for ranked choice voting as well. We don't have it. We have it. We'll have it in the city starting next year. Um, right. But when you have two progressives going to potentially knock each other out, there's no guarantee. Ortiz has never gotten three thousand votes in a primary. Um, right. And so we'll see what happens. But uh, that's something to keep an eye on of what, how much they cut into each other's um, base of support. Yeah, that's definitely something that we'll follow uh, a lot of races this year where there's multiple candidates. Uh, But, Ted, uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us uh, tonight on the WBAI Evening News. Sure thing, John. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. All righty, we'll be back back with more on tomorrow's uh, Democratic primaries. Uh, When we come back after the break, we'll be talking to a nurse who is running for a state assembly seat in Brooklyn against one of the beneficiaries of that Largess that uh, Ted was just describing. Also, when I come back, I'll have some information to share about how you can give to WBAI as we're in the middle of an important fund drive. So please have pen and paper or smartphone uh, ready to go. Uh, This is really important. Bye-bye. more K-pop music from BTS. Welcome back to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Before we jump into our second segment, I want to remind everybody that WBAI is in the middle of an important fund drive, so I encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602. Again, that's 516-620-3602. Or you can go to 
WBAI.org and give there. You can make a one-time donation or even better yet, sign up as a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. Thank you for your support. Uh, speaking of money, if this station was awash in the kind of cash that pours into campaigns of entrenched incumbents just before election time, Fundrive would have been over yesterday. But that doesn't mean underdog candidates or underdog radio stations can't persevere and succeed. Joining us now on the show is Farah Soufrant Forrest, running for state assembly in District 57 in Central Brooklyn. She is a union nurse, a tenant activist, and a proud socialist. And she's running against four-term incumbent Walter Mosley. Farah, welcome to the show. Thank you, John, for having me. It's exciting you to bet. be here. Thank you. Sure. Glad you could join us. I know you're very busy on the campaign trail right now. I can, first of all, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background and, and how you came to be the uh, activist and, and candidate that you are today? <laughs> well, um, my name is Sarah Soufrant Forrest. I am a tenant activist and a union nurse. Um, before I became a nurse, I actually drove Uber. I worked as a maid, retail, Target, whatever you say. And that has really informed me on my politics, like informed how I think politics should be um, today. I am Haitian American. And in fact, my first rally, my first protest was with my dad. Um, when I was eight years old and I protest against the brutalization by the hand of police of Abner Luima. And um, I've been a tenant activist since I was 16 when I was organizing on Myrtle Avenue in Brooklyn um, around lead-based point, lead-based paint poisoning and children um, becoming sick from it. So um, deep, deeply entrenched in grassroots organizing and I think you asked this, but I'm going to answer it anyways. If you didn't, if you didn't ask it, I jumped into politics um, after being arrested for the housing laws of 2019. And at that time, um, there was only one state legislator that was standing with us as we were getting arrested. And that just really disappointed me. Um, here's something that my community clearly leads and our elected officials are not standing strong with us. And so that's when I decided to run. Right. And uh, uh, what are what are some of the main concerns uh, at this time in your district and in, in, in what district or what neighborhoods exactly does your district uh, encompass for people who are listening? Of course. So Assembly District 57 encompasses parts of Fort Green Park, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, Crown Heights and a little bit of Bedside. And so. Um, the biggest problem that we're finding, my community members have voiced to me and to the coalitions that we take part of, is housing. Housing is a big issue. The rent is too high. And um, health care, COVID-19 has deeply impacted the members of the community. And also this idea of economic injustice, just simply not having enough money to or to, to live a, a, a sustainable life. Um, when we look at my district, 44% of my district pays over a third of their salary into rent. 
And when we think about everything else one needs to survive, it's just, it's just a lot. Right. Now, uh, you're, you're a, a, a nurse and uh, nurses have uh, become a bit of a uh, rock stars during this uh, time of uh, pandemic. Uh, can you mm-hmm. speak about the, the, the value uh, of having a nurse uh, enter the state legislature uh, instead of uh, someone with a, a more traditional political background? Of course. I Well, first of all, I am coming from I, my first degree was in international relations and political science. So I do have a background in um, government, understanding government and how governments work. Um, I did transition into nursing because I felt that um, I was a better, in nursing, I, I was able to better meet the needs of my community. Um, nurses are public advocates. We are trained to assess, um, intervene, plan, and evaluate issues that are happening on the individual level, right, the level of the patient, um, facility-wise, and also as far as the community. There is such a thing as public health nurse, a community nurse. And so I have the tools that is necessary when we talk about things like all these topics, excuse me, these issues that intersect housing, healthcare, economic justice, racial justice, all these intersect and a nurse is perfect to help bring about real solutions. Mm. And, and speaking of, of racial justice with all the protests that have happened since George Floyd's uh, murder in Minneapolis, uh, what would you like to do uh, it, if you made it to the state legislature to try to uh, you know, address this situation, both with the police and in other related issues. Mm-hmm. So as a, uh, as a elected official, I do hope to first acknowledge the racist and um, this, this fraternal order, which is in our um, NYPD. Um, we cannot address any, I don't think that the NYPD can be reformed. I think it simply needs to be restarted over again. Um, first of all, by defunding, I, I, me and along with another, other Democratic Socialists of America candidates, slate candidates are calling for the defunding of the NYPD by half. And so, that is a start and then taking that money and reinvesting it in our in our community um we have so many issues in the community that can be dealt with with a three billion dollar surplus in um in the budget so definitely defunding the nypd to refund our our community okay and and, uh our first guest tonight uh ted hammond indie reporter he uh was describing how uh, a recent article he wrote for us about uh, incumbents that have received anywhere from twenty to sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars from the Democratic Assembly can- campaign committee, uh, controlled by the Speaker of the Assembly, and one of those uh, beneficiaries is uh, Walter Mosley, your yeah. opponent. Uh, can you talk about uh, what you've done to counteract that in- advantage uh, uh, that Mr. Mosley has, and in-, in terms of your own fundraising and the the volunteers you have like uh, what does that look like what's the scope of your campaign Mm -hmm. so to counteract the twenty two thousand dollars that 
Mr. Mosley has just taken in the last filings, not to count the hundreds, uh, over $100,000 that he's taken in his past eight years. I have sworn that I will never take any corporate or real estate dollars. Um, the way we counteract that in my campaign is simple people power. We've had well over 900 volunteers um, that clocked in hundreds of hours on my campaign. Um, we've made over 220,000 phone calls. We've raised over $140,000. And this is all from individual donors. When we um, just as far as like the individual donors, I have had over 4,000 individual donors um, that average about $26. So we're uh, really right. talking about people power versus money power. You know, when we say okay. no yeah, real we're running estate, out no of time, corporate dollars. That, that, that's an amazing accomplishment. We'll have to leave it there, but uh, Farah, we'll be, we'll be following your race closely tomorrow and, and, and going forward as the returns come in. Yes, I hope everybody goes out and votes in the primary, June 23rd, Tuesday, last day, y'all. <laughs> All righty. Great advice there. Thank Thanks you. again for joining us. And Bye-bye. so that about does it oh. for tonight's show. A special thank you to Amba Gargarian and Renee Feltz for their help. You can also follow the independence election coverage at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-N-T dot O-R-G. And please, if you can, make a donation in the name of this show to help keep WBAI on the air. Number is 516-620-3602 or go to WBI.org. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back same time next week. Sorry,